Man, that is so amazing, isn't it? Uh, just incredible to see what God is doing, not only here, but around the world. And that's why we've been talking about this for last week and this week. And I just want to call your attention to it as well. Maybe you weren't here last week, maybe you were, but you haven't jumped in yet. But last weekend, we talked about just how God is working, not just here, but there, and how we have an incredible opportunity to be a part of that through this initiative, this movement we call Meal a Month. And this is where we are literally taking money that we would have usually spent on ourselves, on our own meal, $30 is not that much, and, and then we redirect that, we, we don't eat, we fast through a meal, which might have great health benefits for us, as I have said, and then we help somebody else eat for a month. This is crazy, like one meal for us, but $30 for them would feed them for an entire month. And then that is going directly to people at our Revolution Church in Marion, which we said last week we wanted 200 people to sign up. Well, we, so far, this is before this weekend, we had 101 families that have signed up so far, which is incredible, but we still want to get to that 200 mark. And so we have these cards in the seats. If you didn't get these, uh, if you sat on it or just threw it on the ground, all right, make sure you grab this. And we want you to take this home with you, put it on your fridge, put it somewhere that you can see, pray for these, because these are, again, photos of people from our family, our church in Revolution of Marion. And then on the back is how you sign up for it. So if you didn't get a chance to sign up for it, you can just scan that QR code. It'll help you go to the website, and then you can sign up there. And then if you want to do that, and you didn't get to do that last week, you can sign up and then take this and just keep it and keep praying for them. And so that's part of the movement is we want you to actually go without fast and then during that time pray for those families that are going to be directly affected by your giving. And then you saw there on the video, those two of our pastors uh, and Pastor Jackson, the one with the hat, isn't his hat game strong? Like that hat, I mean, that, I mean, every time I go there, we didn't get the chance to go this year because of COVID, but he always has a hat with some kind of word on it, pray, God, something. I mean, every time, and it's new all the time. I don't know where he gets them, who his supplier is. Um, but his hat game is strong, man. And he is one of the most amazing people on the planet. And I've told you about him before if you've been around, but just in case you haven't, Pastor Jackson was literally walking overnight to the different villages that we were going to feed people. He would just walk all night through the desert uh, in like some really kind of broke down sandals like Jesus, literally. And he would show up at the places for those feedings. And everybody's like, who is this guy? And so that's how we got to know him years and years ago. And then planted our very first revolution church in Kikiring where he pastors. And now we bought him a motorcycle. And so he can ride to these different villages, which a motorcycle in the desert on sand is a whole, is a whole different experience. I know I've tried it, but the coolest part about him is he doesn't just take this as an opportunity for him to get around quicker. He'll literally have younger pastors drive the motorcycle. He's on the back seat, which is a whole nother level of trust, right? and traveling to these different villages. And so that's the whole vision of Multiply because he's raising up these young pastors so that we can plant more churches and feed more people. And that's part of who our church is. Again, we literally support those pastors every month as a church. And so this is really, I think, one of the most strategic ways that you and I could get involved uniquely in something that God is doing on the other side of the world. In fact, I had a chance this last week, just kind of a chance encounter. I met a pastor, a Kenyan guy who lives here in Atlanta now, and I was one of our church members introduced me to him. He said, man, he's a Kenyan pastor. Tell him what we're doing. And I told him what we're doing. And I said, where are you from? He said, Nairobi. I said, oh yeah, we fly into Nairobi. And then we go up to Lodwar. And I kid you not, as soon as I said Lodwar, he goes, oh, they need help, was his response. 
And he's Kenyan who lives here now. I'm like, yeah, we've been going there for, you know, serve's been there for over a decade. We've been involved now for three or four years, just feeding people and planting churches. Like, that is incredible. He's like, nobody goes there. And so I just want you to know how in, in, amazing it is that our church has the amazing opportunity to have an impact there. So I want you to get involved in what God is doing there. So make sure you sign up for Meal a Month if you have not. Secondly, a thing I want you to know about, and you may have noticed it when you came in our locations today, we have food boxes in our lobby. Now, our students, Rev students, so 50 students last weekend packed out 450 food boxes, which is incredible on its own. Let's give it up for our students. Yeah, they took up their Saturday. This is a multi-generational thing, multi-ethnic thing, all right? Packed out 450 boxes, and what we're doing with those boxes is we have them at both locations today, and we want you, when our gathering is done, to grab a box and then go bless somebody with it in either in your neighborhood or just anybody that God leads you to. Because we want you to live life on mission. And so our goal is not just for you to be a part of what God is doing on the other side of the world, but what he's doing right here in our communities as well. So grab a box after the gathering is over and go bless somebody with it. Now, if you are a family that is in need of food, just grab a box and you use it to bless yourself. That is fine as well. You don't have to be embarrassed about that because we want to bless you so that you can then be a blessing to others. And so we only have so many boxes left. You guys have been so incredible so far through all of our gatherings. And if you're online, maybe you can put your own bag together and figure out how to go bless somebody, all right? So grab those when we're done today. Sign up for Meal a Month and just see what God does in and through you to bless somebody else, all right? All right, if you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 3. That's where we're going to be hanging today. We're going to be in John chapter 3 for the next several weeks, in fact. And in John chapter 3, we've been talking about how this is arguably one of the greatest chapters in the Bible and really probably the greatest verse that everybody knows in the Bible, John 3, 16. And we looked at that last week, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we're going to just build on that this week. And this week, we're going to look at verses 18 through 21 and this same kind of conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. And we're going to kind of wrap up that conversation and then it'll switch into verse 22 next week for Mother's Day, all right? So before we jump in, as always, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are and how you're working in our midst. God, it really is um, a privilege and honor to join you in your mission in the world. And as we're gonna talk about today, God, how you saved us for that. So God, thank you for the privilege it is to be a part of your work in Northwest Kenya and not only feeding people, but telling people about Jesus and being able to plant churches and raise up pastors and be able to live out this vision that we have to multiply. And then God, also here locally, as we live this out as our own local church, God, not just planting campuses, but multiplying disciples and helping people have the opportunity to live life on mission like we've been talking about. So God, I pray that as we now approach your word, that you would bless our time together. As always, help me to communicate it in a way that is honoring to you, but also helpful to us. Um, and God, as we hear the word, I pray that we would not only be filled with your spirit, but then orient, move our life into this rhythm that you have for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in verse 18 of John chapter 3. So let me read that and kind of set the stage for what we're going to talk about. Verse 18, it says, whoever believes in him, and that is Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So remember, this is coming out of the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. And then verse 16 and 17, we saw last week where Jesus is saying, God loves the world so much that he gave his only son. And, and that is the grounding for understanding how we're born again. We're born again, like Jesus told Nicodemus, when we look to the Son and the Holy Spirit causes that new life to happen within us. And that is grounded in the love of God, that God did that so much. He did that because he so loved us. And so now, kind of the result of that, as John's going to tell us, there's ultimately only two categories of people. And you're going to see this Quite often in the Gospel of John, it's just called dualism, which just means twos, like darkness and light. We're going to look at that today. Believers and non-believers. And so at the end of the day, there's only two camps. There's only two categories, which it's very human for us to kind of divide things up, either by nationalities or ethnicities or gender or you know, socioeconomic status. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to matter is which category you are in when it relates to Jesus. You believe in him or you don't believe in him. That's the only category that matters. That's the only distinction that matters at the end of the day. And what Jesus is saying here is because those who believed are no longer condemned. Now, the word condemned means to be declared guilty, to be convicted of guilt, if you will. And, and that concept of guilt, we don't always like talking about today, or we don't like talking about conviction or, or that, but there is a lot of conversation today around justice. And it's important to understand that when, when we're talking about justice, there is a right and a wrong, and there is a guilty and an innocent. And Jesus says that, that those that don't believe in him are guilty. Now, what's interesting is this word here, he says, already which means we're living in a state of guilt. And so when Jesus came into the world, he didn't come in the world to condemn it, as verse 17 said, he came to save it. Why? Because the world was already condemned. The world was already under a state of guilt, under a state of being declared guilty. Now we'll get into this at the end of chapter three in verse 36, where he says, the wrath of God remains. And so when Jesus came, he came to free us from that condemnation. Well, how did that happen? Well, that's what we talked about on Easter, how he substituted himself. He instituted an entirely new system, an entirely new way of getting to God by saying, you don't have to sacrifice anymore. I will sacrifice myself for you. I'll literally, the great exchange as it's called, our guilt goes on him. Our condemnation goes on him. His innocence comes on us. And so if you believe in him, what he is saying here is you're no longer condemned. You're no longer declared guilty. You're now declared righteous. Well, that's the essence of the gospel, all right? Now, let's dig into verse 19 because we think, okay, well, why doesn't everybody believe that? Right? If that's the good news, if Jesus came to declare us innocent, not guilty like we already were. Well, why doesn't everybody believe that? Well, Jesus is going to answer the question for you. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. And people loved the darkness. People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now let's chat about this. 
The ultimate answer as to why people don't believe is because they love the darkness. Now, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you know that there's different words for love in Greek. In English, we only have one word, just love. So we'll say to our spouse, I love you. Just like we'll say, I love this hamburger. For me, I'm like, I love Whataburger. I love Whataburger ketchup. And if to my wife, she knows that is a high level of love, right? But baby, I love you like I love Whataburger. Oh, wow, you do. But, but we use this word really interchangeably, right? Like, I love my wife. I love ketchup. I love Whataburger. I love the Bulldogs. I love the Falcons. It's just one word, which I think there's some spouses in here who are like, I would love it if he loved me like he loved that team, right? If he showed affection to me like he does for that, if he showed passion for me like he does for that team, which that's a whole nother summer for another day, all right? But what's interesting here is this word is the exact same Greek word for love that was used in verse 16, which this is where I was saying, if you've been around church, you probably heard this. It's the word agape, which is self-sacrificing love. It is completely and other, otherly focused. It's, it's I'm willing to disadvantage myself for you. And what's really crazy is that this word in this sentence is saying, that's how people feel about darkness. So people love darkness the way that God loves the world. In a God-like love. Not a feeling, not a, you know, that's a different word for Greek, not a, in Greek, not a brotherly type love, not even, you know, a, a kind of what we would think is romantic type love. But this word here is saying, they love darkness, which means willing to sacrifice for it. Like it is the greatest love in their life. It is the center of all that they are. And so when you think, why don't people come to God? Why don't people understand how much God loves them? Because they love something more. So this is what's so important for us to understand. Because the problem that you and I have is not just we make some bad choices. This is what I was saying to you last week. We're not fundamentally good people who occasionally make bad decisions. We are fundamentally bad people who love the wrong thing that occasionally may make a right decision. You know, even a, a broke clock is right twice a day, right? And so it's this kind of concept that the problem at the end of the day is not just you do some stuff that's wrong, it's that you love something that's wrong. And this is so important for us to understand because our actions, hear me, our actions flow out of our attachments. Our actions flow out of, let me say it to you like this, what we love. And this is the part where we really have to learn how to be honest, which I know this is in church, right? Which is crazy to me. Church is one of the places we'll lie the most. No, I'm good, brother. That's good, brother. Good to see you, brother. All right, next week, brother, right? We just skim on the surface to where church should be the place, the one place where we can come. And it's not a place because it's a group of people, right? But it's, it's where we can gather with God's people and say, you know what? What's really wrong with me while I keep messing up is I just don't love God like I should. I love this. I love darkness. Why do I love darkness? Because he says it here, because the works are evil. The works, now that word works, we're going to see many times in this text. I'll point it out every time we see it, 
are evil. What is that saying? You want to know why you and I keep doing the bad things that we do? Because we love it. We love it. And this is where we got to get to like lower levels. By lower, I mean deeper levels. This is what I was saying last week. You'll never understand the depth of God's love for you until you understand the depth of your own darkness. Because the darker that you understand you are, the more amazing the light becomes to you. The more amazing the fact that, don't, don't miss this, this is why I'm showing these two love words are connected. God loves people who love darkness. That's crazy. Like God feels about people the same way people feel about sin. So here's what you need to understand. The only thing that's going to bust you out of that attachment is a new attachment. The only thing that's going to change you and therefore change your actions and attitude is a new love, not a new 10-step management program. I'm not saying those 10-step programs aren't great. They are. But those only come out of where you understand, yeah, you know what's wrong with me? I love the wrong things. And this is where, again, we get honest and we get real in church and say, man, you know why I sin? I love it. But how would your small group go if you're in a small group where you showed up this week and you're like, you know what my problem is? I really love to sin. They might like try an exorcism on you and kick you out, right? Like, oh, let's go get some water. Where's that holy water? Let's splatter, you know? Because in church, it's like, let me say it to you like this. In church, we've bought into the idea of image management more than we actually have transformation. I'll never forget. Again, I didn't grow up in a Christian home and said that often, but I went to a Christian school and my first year of Christian school was awesome in college. It was like summer camp all the time. My sophomore year, I started realizing I'm still pretty messed up. And I'll never forget sitting around a table at Whataburger, by the way, with my friends. We were having a small group conversation. And, and I, again, I didn't know that they had grown up in church and they were just used to kind of being fake. And so I was just being honest with them about my struggles. Man, my, I, I still love this. I still love that. And I'm just really wrestling with who I really am. Like, I know I'm new in Christ, but man, the old me really is struggling with, with the fact that I can't say no to these things. And I'll never forget sitting around the table just being honest about what I was really struggling with and everybody's eyes were like this. I, I could feel at that moment, I just lost friends. And then I lovingly looked at them and I said, can I not just be honest that I'm struggling with who I am and what I love? But yet in their mindset, in my church mindset, like, oh, we don't do this. But here's what I want you to see. At the end of the day, your problem is far worse than what you thought. But at the same time, God loves you far more than you thought. And it's, and it's at the intersection of those two things that we see what he's getting at here. Your real problem is you love the dark too much. However, God loved you enough to bring judgment. Now, that's what he said there in the first part of the text. He says, and this is the judgment. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. What's interesting is this word judgment is the Greek word 
Literally, the Greek word for judgment is a word that you, you, you know, I'm going to say it and you'll know exactly what it is. It's the Greek word crisis. What English word is just like that Greek word? Come on. Crisis, right? I know this is when you're like, I, I think I know what he's saying, but I ain't going to say no. What y'all going to say? I ain't going to say it. I ain't going to say it. What y'all going to say? Yes, crisis. This is when you're gathering with us online. You can just yell out to the TV and ain't nobody there to judge you, right? Crisis. Now, don't miss this. And this is the connection I'm wanting you to see. God loves you so much. He knows that you love the darkness so much that he showed up and brought crisis in your life. He brought judgment in your life. And what is that judgment? The light. Jesus showing up. Now, for those of us who are parents, you understand this principle. And you don't even have to be a parent because you just dealt with enough human beings to understand this principle. But let me relate it to it like this. When your kids are acting out, again, this is why I joke, like you may think they're little angels, but they're little demons, right? Because they love darkness. And yeah, the pictures are cute, but their heart is black, right? And you see this, you see this in how they act. So you'll say something, hey, don't do that. And then what do they do? Not only do they do it, but they do it with a sly look. Right? Don't touch that. A good parent knows that if that attitude and action is going to change, it's going to change because you bring crisis in their life. You with me? I think you are. And what is judgment? Now, let me show you this. And what that means, again, we live in a society where we don't think this is real and right anymore. But if, if I allow my child to keep doing what their dark heart wants, and I never bring judgment or crisis or discipline into their life, then they're going to grow up and be a crisis. And then ultimately, they will die and live in eternal crisis. Eternal, what's another word? Judgment. So listen to me. The most loving thing someone can do to somebody whose life is on the wrong trajectory is to bring that future judgment and crisis into their life early before it turns into an eternal one. You with me when I say that? So the Bible says that's what God did. He brought that judgment, that crisis into your life with the hopes that it would lead to a change. Let me give you the definition of crisis. You can go to dictionary.com and look at this. This is where I got it from. You look at the origin of the word, you'll see the word Greek crisis is spelled with a K instead of a C. But here's two definitions of the word crisis. I have it here on the screen. A condition of instability or danger as in social, economic, or political, or international affairs. We understand that, right? We've been living almost in crisis. Now listen to this last part, and this is why I highlighted it. Leading to a decisive change. Leading to a decisive change. So think about this. A condition of instability, unrest, that's meant to 
lead to a change. This is the part of crisis that we don't understand because when it happens, we just want it to go away. Instead of asking, why did it come? What do we need to change that this crisis has brought about that fundamentally led to the need for it in the first place? Let me give you a second definition. A stay, I love this one. A stage in a sequence of events, which the, now don't miss this, the trend of all future events from this point forward, especially for better or worse, is determined. I love this one. A turning point. So think about this. In your life, and I've had enough conversations with people and I've lived enough decades now to know, when you're going through a crisis, at the time, it's the worst thing ever. And that's okay to admit that. It's horrible. You didn't want it. Maybe it was caused by you. Maybe it wasn't caused by you. Maybe it was caused by somebody else, something else. We live in a broken world. Maybe it was just a natural crisis. And when you're going through it, you're like, this is the worst thing imaginable. But mature people go through that season and then later on can look back in it. And I've heard this thousands of times. People have said, you know, at the time, it was the worst thing ever. But it became such a defining moment in my life that now I look back on it as one of the best things that happened. Now, when I say best, I'm not saying it was good. But out of it, it led to change that was necessary and good. So think about this. Again, this is the Bible. And this is the judgment. This is the crisis. The light came. And people loved darkness. What does that mean? When the crisis came, people went further into the dark as opposed to into the light. And this is where we have a problem. In fact, let me give you my point. You might want to write this one down. It's one thing to have a crisis, but a whole other thing to live in crisis. Let me say that again. Feel free to amen me, all right? It's one thing to have a crisis, but it's a whole nother thing to live in crisis. Amen? It's one thing to have a crisis. It's a whole nother thing to live in crisis. What do I mean by that? No matter how godly you are, no matter how much you want to follow Jesus, here's what you need to know. You're going to have crises. You're going to have moments in time where there were judgments that come. The story of Job tells us that. You can't choose those. You can't bulletproof your life from those. You might get a diagnosis. Someone you love may get a diagnosis. Something bad may happen. You can't stop that. But if you live, listen to me, if you live in a state of crisis, then that's a choice you're making. You and I can choose whether or not to live in a state of crisis. Again, I've been pastoring now for over two decades. I've had many conversations with people that they had a crisis and you love them and you help them and you walk through that with them. And you say, I don't know what God is doing. I don't understand it either. But we know that he is good and he is ultimately going to work things for good. What is that? And you have to do a lot of heart and work and counseling and searching to understand what that is. And it takes time. And, but then there's other people 
that it seems like every time we talk, they are in a state of crisis. And here's why I want you to see this. If we don't learn the lesson that we need to learn in the first crisis, then we'll just repeat it into a second crisis and into a third crisis and into a fourth crisis. See, these are the people that love the darkness so much that they don't want to come to the light because they know when they come to the light that the things that they want to keep doing, they can't do anymore. And this is why, again, I want us to all understand who we really are. And this is the time in the service, in the gathering, when we shouldn't be elbowing other people. Because if you're elbowing other people, then you just under, misunderstood what I'm trying to say because you're like, see what I've been trying to tell you? Well, that elbow is a form of judgment on yourself because you failed to understand your own heart and your own darkness and your own blackness where you too, just like whoever you wanted to elbow, loves darkness. Now, I'm not saying you can't help those people, but here's what you need to understand. We need to help them by lovingly help them see not that they are a crisis, but that God loved them so much that he came and solved their greatest crisis, which was sin, death, and eternal judgment. And if they can understand that about how much God loves them, then maybe that can break them out of the things that they love more than him. So we need to understand that we will only love people to the measure of which we understand how loved we are. This is why Jesus says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. But he who's been forgiven little doesn't mean that one is more forgiven than the other. It just means they don't understand it. Love's little. It's amazing to me how sadly the church a lot of times can produce really unloving people. And one of the reasons why is because they just didn't understand how much they actually loved, God, loved the world and loved darkness. But what I want you to see is God doesn't want you to live in a state of crisis but he will keep allowing crisis to come until you change. Until you have a turning point. Because here's what we know to be true. We will not change until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. We won't. So what does God do? He brings crisis and crisis and crisis, judgment and judgment and judgment to make it more painful. This is what I was talking about parenting. To make it more painful that the idea of not changing becomes so ridiculous. Like, I don't want that pain anymore. Because see, at the end of the day, you and I are really on a joy quest. We want joy. And here's what's crazy. You're going to see it in John. Jesus says, I want joy for you too. But I want joy for you so much that I will bring crisis in your life so that you'll understand there is greater joy beyond what you currently think you could have in this world. Look at verse 20, back to John 3. It says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works, there's that word again, should be exposed. Why don't we come to the light? Because again, we don't want what we've done to be exposed and we love it too much. But here's what's crazy. We understand the idea of wicked things. 
But this word wicked means evil and how you think of evil. But here's what's really cool. This word wicked also means worthless. Worthless things. So think about it like this. How many times in your life has God brought a crisis when you got amazing clarity over what was worthwhile and what wasn't? I mean, I've seen countless families, my own family, when someone is sick or someone's in the hospital or something tragic happens, amazingly in that moment comes into focus what is worthwhile. And, and, and here's my definition of something that's worthwhile versus something that's worthless. Something that's worthwhile is something that will last for eternity. What's the two things that will last for eternity? God, his word, and people. God and people. Not the internet, thank goodness. Not stuff. But, but think about this. How much of our lives do we spend on the daily around worthless things? This is when I was referencing earlier about our love for our favorite sports teams. And this is right when you're like, you're saying my sports team's worthless? Well, let me ask you a question. Have they won anything in the last decade? Yee! You're like, well, good. See, those watching online right now, like, click, I'm done. I know it's rude in, in gatherings to walk out. You're like, ah, I wish I could walk. But let me ask you a question. Is it bad to like a sports team? No. There's teams that I like. Love? That's a whole other thing. Because let's be straight. At the end of the day, is it worthwhile putting all my time, all my energy, most of my money into something that's not eternal? No. And it's amazing to me that when a crisis comes, what people want around them is not their favorite sports team or their flat screen TVs. It's those they love. It's people. So it's in those moments of amazing clarity, we now see, oh, this is what's worthwhile. I would give up everything for her, for him, for them, because they are eternal. They will never not exist anymore. That is what's worthwhile. But then once the crisis subsides, how quickly do we go back to worthless things? You want to know why always we will challenge you to gather with the people of God in person, online. We will challenge you to be a part of what God's doing in the world, to invest in the kingdom of God like we've been doing these last couple of weeks, because that's worthwhile. That is not living your life for worthless things. But how much of our time and energy is spent? I mean, I'm ragging on teams, but man, I could do a thousand examples right now. Worthlessness. And the judgment is that God will bring crisis into our life to wake us up to what really matters. Him and people. Now, let me show you this in a positive. I have these verses on the screens, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. 
I want to kind of think of this not in a negative thing about worthless things, but let's think about it in a positive thing and worthwhile things. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. Let me read that again, verse nine. I want you to say the word works. Not a result of what? Works. That word is important. You're gonna see it again two more times so that no one may boast. Verse 10, next slide. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good what? Works. But come on, you gotta be with me here. Come on, I'm gonna throw this down at you. You better pick it up. Created in Christ Jesus for good what? Works. There we go, baby. For good works. Now listen to this. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God loved you so much that not only he sent his son to die for you, but he sent his son to die for you so that you could get back to the thing that he had planned for you all along, which was his good works in and through you to bless other people. So, so don't miss this. In, in, a, in a negative sense, I'm saying that God brings crisis in our lives because we love darkness and our deeds are evil, but he doesn't just save us from that. So, so think about it like this. He doesn't just save us from that. He saves us to something, for something. So the gospel is multifaceted in that it restores us into a right relationship with God, but then it also restores us into a right relationship with ourselves where we now live for what we were made to do, which is good works in the world. So the gospel is God saves you from things that were dark and worthless and wicked and evil and now saves you into doing things that are good and righteous and holy. And so, so many of us live our lives almost half-hearted because we think that God just saved us from something in the future and now we're just buying our time until we get there. And God's saying, no, I didn't just save you from something in the future. I saved you for something now. To live your life on mission. This is why we ask you to pick up the boxes. This is why we ask you to be a part of Meal a Month. This is why we ask you to serve on a team, to be in a group, to be a part of the things that God made you for, because that is what will bring you joy. But so many of us live our lives joyless because we're still, oh gosh, I'm spitting all over the place. We are still spending our life on worthless things. So what I'm trying to get you to see, we got a six foot buffer in front of everybody here. All right, don't worry about COVID. What I'm trying to get you to see is God wants you to walk in the things that he saved you for. He loved you that much. Now go back to John verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his, what's that next word there? <clears throat> Baby. Let's try that again. So that it may be clearly seen that he is what? Ah, oh, that's good. Let's do it one more time like your favorite game. Because you ain't got a problem screaming at the game, but at church you're like. So that, well, so that it may be clearly seen that he is what? <clears throat> Give it to me. There you go. His works have been carried out in God. Now, real quick word on this. This is not a Christian that's saved and it's like, look at me, I'm doing all these things that are great for God. And you snapping photos of it on Instagram. I'm just out here loving the world. 
and you get the best photo of you handing someone the box of food. It ain't that. Like you ask the, the lady, hey, can I take that box back? We need to get another photo. Come on now. This isn't narcissistic serving. This is, I can't believe I get to do this. See, what's interesting is that word in, carried out in God. That word in literally means in union with, in union with God. See, this is the person that says, you know what? I know how dark I was. I know how lost I was. I know how wicked I was. And he came and he saved me. And now I don't know why, but he lets me do this. This is why I want you to hear me say, church, if your mentality is I have to serve, then you don't understand it. It's I get to serve. I don't have to come talk to y'all every, every week. I get to. It's the greatest, one of the greatest privileges and honor of my life. And you want to know almost every week what happens to me backstage before I come out here is invariably I'm listening to worship songs or I'm sitting in our worship gathering and almost weekly, I'm overwhelmed to the point of tears. Yes, I cry. It makes my daughter happy for some weird reason. I don't know why. She's like, Daddy, you cry? Yeah, baby. Not, not all out bawling, but just a, because this sense comes over me as, I'm so wicked. Why do you want me to do this? Like, do you understand how it's a form of judgment for me to come out here and talk to you about how you should live. And then I have to look at myself and think, well, hello, Jason, are you doing that? And so every week I'm overcome with this emotion. It happened to me this morning as I was looking over my notes again and studying with like, God, how, how in the world do you let me do this? I know who I am. I'm so sinful. And then God, the Holy Spirit reminds me, well, that's exactly why I want you to do it. Because you'll do it with the sense of knowing that you don't deserve to do it. Because I want people to know the good work that I've done in you. And as they see you doing the good work of teaching, they will know that I can do the good work in them too. And then through them, do good works so that others will know. See, church, I want you to hear me. It is an amazing fact to me that God would want to do this with me. And so we have a lot of believers walking around not serving because they don't understand how they've been served. But yet what Jesus is saying is those who believe they want to come into the light so they can be clearly seen. So that other people can look at their works and be like, I know that cat. I went to school with her. I went to school with him, and now they're serving on the parking team? Now they're small group leaders? Yeah, because of God's work in their life. And, and, and here's the one last thing. Our world has been in a state of crisis, right? But when God, listen to me, when God has solved your greatest crisis, you want to know what your greatest crisis is? It's not the opposite politician being in office. 
the greatest crisis is eternal judgment. That has been solved. So when there is crisis going on in the world around us, you want to know what God wants Christians to do? To walk into that crisis with a state of calm in their heart and tell people about how God solved their crisis. But what happens most times with Christians? A crisis goes on in the world and then we jump right on in in the crisis. Giving all of our political views and this thing and that thing and everything is wrong. And you would think that Christians do that. They're like, man, do y'all even believe that God exists and he's working all things for good? Because you're so fearful right now. You're so, like you actually think that the Lord needs a politician to get his will done. He doesn't need that. So, so hear me, church. I want you to lovingly hear me. How about we tone down the temperature of crisis and we move into the world that is in a state of crisis to tell them about how God can solve their greatest crisis? <laughs> it amazes me that Christians are shocked that the world, check this, that the world is actually bad. The world is sinful. And the moment that someone starts manipulating you to ratchet up fear, you should have a check in your heart that says, that's not from the Lord. Because my greatest fear has been solved. And I want to move into the world and be a source of love for those in crisis. Here's what's crazy. God actually loves the people that vote differently than you. And if your greatest crisis has been solved, then why don't we move out into the world and let them know that God can save someone like them because he saved someone like you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the truth about who you are. That you came into the world that was already condemned, that was already judged as guilty, and you took our place. And for those who trust in you, that's why our baptism say, I trusted, our baptism church say, I trusted in Jesus, because that is what this is. To believe is to trust. And those that trust in you will have that condemnation removed. And so God, I pray right now for those who have not trusted in you, who have not been saved, I pray right now, God, that you would save them so that they can have their greatest crisis solved, eternal judgment. No one looking around or talking here as we close, but if you want to trust Jesus today, you can believe and have the condemnation removed and be saved. So if that's you, right there where you are, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son Jesus in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. Thank you for loving me. Now again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed to trust Jesus, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? Both locations, That's, if you're online, you can let us know in the chat. 
Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put your hand down. That's awesome. Thank you. And then a moment, you'll have an opportunity to fill out a connection card, tell us who you are so we can follow up with you. But then those of us who've trusted Jesus, I pray today would be a moment where you start to take an evaluation of your life and you say, man, how much of my time am I spending on worthless things? Maybe they are inherently wicked and I need to quit, but maybe they're, they're not, but I just spend too much of my love on it. Too much of my money and my time on it. And then I want to encourage you to join God in this mission because that's what he saved you for. He saved you for good works. That's why we want you to pick up a box in a, in a little bit and go bless somebody. That's why we want you to get involved in middle of month because it blesses somebody because you were made to live on mission. That's why when you live on mission, your heart comes alive because God made you to help other people. That's why he made it to feel so good because he designed you to not live for you. And when you can get in on what he's doing in the world, I am telling you, there is no greater joy. Because he made you for those good works. Walk in them. So I pray today would be a turning point, a decisive change. And where you understand that your greatest crisis has been solved. So that no matter what's going on in you, around you, you can move out in joy and peace because God is with you. And maybe you would reorient your life onto things that are more worthwhile. Father, thank you for loving us. Pray today would be a turning point, a moment of crisis that led to change. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.